welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Young Turks, Rachel Maddow, Counterspin, and Le Show. The USA Today has a couple of like Q&As about these questions, by the uh-huh. And one of them is, uh, does the NSA's domestic uh, program mean that my calling records have been secretly collected? Uh, and the answer, in all likelihood, yes. Uh, the NSA collects the records of billions of domestic calls. Those include calls from home phones and wireless phones. So all of your calls have been collected uh, by the government. They know who you're calling. Um, and then I like, does that mean people listened to my conversations? Answer, eavesdropping is not part of this program. Yeah. <laughs> Now, of course, that's one of that's. By the way, get ready for that because Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez flat out lied on the stand when he was uh, at the Senate. Okay? Yeah, so they should be able to charge him with. Per- oh, oh right they didn't him. put him under. Yeah, um, that's right. Hmm. I, I, you know, they didn't swear him in, huh? Yeah, that's really a, surprising. It's one, because it's weird, but when he didn't get sworn in, uh, I didn't think that would come back and be a story. Hmm. I didn't yeah. think that would ever come up as relevant. Yeah. So he flat out lied. But what he's going to say is, no, no, you misunderstood my lie. I mean, my statement. I said we didn't do that under this program. I didn't say we didn't do it under another program. Yeah. Well, and by the way, they say, oh, we did not listen to calls under this program. That's why I say, did they listen to those domestic calls? Perhaps under Another program that they're still not telling us about. Is that possible? Look, of course! Look, look, here's what's... Like, they're not listening. They're, you know, Joe listening, Joe so-and-so, Joe four-pack listening right now. Uh-huh. Um, it's a lighter guy. Um, <laughs> uh, Joe, you, they probably aren't listening to your calls because literally there isn't, of course, the manpower to listen to billions, so all the calls. To billions of calls. So they're probably if not... If they could, they would. <laughs> I think if they could, they would. Um you know, so, uh, but that, but, the, but when, if they figure out a way to, to stick it in, stick the actual recordings into a computer that can then, then of course they will. The last cute question in the Q&A here on uh, USA Today, who has access to my records is the question. The answer, unclear. The NSA routinely provides its analysis and other cryptological work to the Pentagon and other government agencies. So who has access to my records? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody in the government has access to your records. Who wants it? Who the president decides can have it? Even though, by the way, uh, Congress has twice uh, in 2004 and 2005 passed laws expressly forbidding the collection of, uh, of, of, of data collected without a warrant expressly forbidding the sharing of that data with the military because of the long-standing history of this country of not having the military spy, although it turns out the, the, the Department of the Pentagon spies on everybody. Uh, and the president uh, twice uh, issued signing statements saying, that's fine, I, I, can, I ignore that law. I get to say when the military gets uh, uh, information that was acquired without a warrant whenever I feel like. So now we already know, by the way, that the Pentagon and the FBI has already uh, monitored peace groups and liberal groups and leftist groups under the guise of, hey, if they're in favor of peace, they might be violent. <laughs> okay, I'm not even kidding, okay? Mike Lizagoff was on the show, and he did a story in Newsweek about this, let alone 18 other stories that have come out. Now, but they say, no, but nothing illegal happened there. We're just monitoring. We weren't doing warrantless surveillance or anything like that. So it's not like we did that without a court order or without, in violation of the Fourth Amendment. 
But now we find out they collected all this other information in violation of the Fourth Amendment, and they've been monitoring these groups, and they've been sharing that information. Now, it doesn't take a genius to put two and two together and come up with four. But it doesn't matter. You don't want to come up with four. You don't want to put two and two together. Don't. Who cares? What they've done already is grossly wrong and illegal. It, no ands, ifs, or buts about it, although you will hear a lot of ands, ifs, and buts as the conservative talk show hosts try to justify. And by the way, Dave won so far of the response to this. The conservative response has been terrible. Usually they've got a great lie and a great excuse and a great rationalization ready to go. So far, their response has been silence. Bush came out. We're going to share that uh, speech with you. Gave the shortest, you know, most unconvincing speech that basically gave no excuse at all. And so far, I have not heard any of the conservatives come up with a decent explanation. Now, mind you, what you'll find, what what will happen over the next couple of weeks is they'll figure out a good lie. They'll get together and they'll be like, okay, what? Uh, how are we going to justify this one? I mean, we told them it was good, all Al-Qaeda people. What are we going to tell all Americans? They're all part of Al-Qaeda, as Senator Leahy said Well, I mean, today. I, 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 and they're going to, uh, I don't know, we don't have that one. And they'll come up with something, and then they'll pretend that that's what it was all along. That was their justification all along. Remember, the quote-unquote terrorist surveillance program never had that name until they needed it for PR reasons. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll come up with a great answer for this. Um, I mean, you know, the the... The relevant part about the most to me relevant part about this story is again it keeps the sort of warrantless spying from the NSA in any capacity uh, in the news. And each time there's another story, you're more likely to piss off uh, another Republican senator and take the level of anger of a Democratic senator up from four to eight. You know, so uh, I I can't imagine a scenario. I mean, the the only argument they're going to have is we're not listening to these calls. This is all just so we, this is all for, you know, the, it'll be the same argument. This is to catch terrorists. And all, we're not listening to the calls, we're just checking out calling patterns, because the terrorists have bizarre calling patterns. That's a bad reasoning, but that's what we'll have. There is no great reasoning for this, because essentially they've been caught in a giant lie. Those are some of the stories that we are keeping an eye on this morning, some of the stories making headlines around the country and around the world. But every day here on The Rachel Maddow Show, we do enjoy poking a sharp stick at the soft white underbelly of the right-wing scheme machine, giving you a little peek at their political playbook. Today's right-wing political tactic is something that I have been going on about for a little while. Uh, it's called the new monarchism. At least that's what I'm calling it. Uh, it's basically the idea uh, that we're trying to create a king out of our president. I, fi- I think this idea is finally catching on, uh, ca- gaining some steam. It's the most evident when the White House decides it's going to break the law and then says it's in the clear and can't be held accountable for breaking the law because the president, by definition, because he's president, because he's so powerful, can't technically break the law. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. This is something that I have been railing about forever as a right-wing political tactic and is, I, I think, something that really ties together a lot of the loose threads about what's happening with right-wing politics in this country. A lot of things don't make sense until you see them through this lens. Now, the Boston Globe 
has done a bang up, hugely important, big deal, change the country kind of story about this phenomenon, or at least about a key element of this phenomenon. It was their lead story in the Sunday Boston Globe yesterday. And the story focused specifically on the issue of signing statements. The signing statement is something that nobody had really heard of before this year. Signing statements are where the president signs a bill into law, but also issues a signing statement in which he reserves the right to not follow that law if he doesn't want to. Basically, keeping his fingers crossed behind his back while he's signing the bill. This is how, the way we do things in this country, the way our Constitution is set up, is that the Congress makes laws. The president can veto them if he wants, but if he doesn't veto, if he signs them, then these, these bills become law. And he, like every other citizen in the country, is then bound by those laws. The president is not above the law. The president is equal in power in our Constitution to the Congress and to the courts. And law is above all of us in this country, including the president. But this president is issuing quietly these little signing statements that say, I'm the president. I'm not bound by the laws created by this little monstrosity down the road you call Congress. And the Boston Globe reported yesterday, and this is amazing to me, that he didn't just put out a signing statement on the Patriot Act, which we reported here on the Rachel Maddow show. Uh, He didn't just put out a signing statement on the John McCain torture bill, like we reported here on the Rachel Maddow show. He didn't just do it on little things like that. The Boston Globe reported yesterday that the president issued signing statements on more than 750 laws that he has signed since he became president. He held his hand behind his back and said, I don't really promise to make this a law. I don't consider myself bound by this. 750 times on military rules and regulations, on affirmative action laws, on requirements that Congress be told about immigration service problems, on whistleblower protections, on safeguards against political interference in federally funded research. On all of these, he has issued signing statements saying he doesn't really think he's bound by these laws. They never make an announcement about this. They just do it quietly and put it on file. Whatever you think about these laws one by one, what do you think about having a president of the United States who says that laws don't apply to him? It took the Boston Globe to look through the files and find that he's done this more than 750 times. What do you think about this as a principle? What do you think about having a president who says the laws that he's signing do not apply to him? Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, anarchist, libertarian, socialist, Mooney. I don't care. What do you think about this? The president says laws do not apply to him. This is the new monarchism. This is what is tying together what the right is trying to do with the presidency of George W. Bush. This is what they created him for. This is the new monarchism. And unless you are in favor of bringing back King George... This Boston Globe story from yesterday, this cover story in the Boston Sunday Globe, goes in the file marked Tipping Point, where right-wing overreaching turned the whole country against the presidency of George W. Bush. Tell me if there's something I can do Cause lately all I'm thinking of is you So I tried to write you a love song But all the music came out wrong So I hope that you dance along I hope that you dance along with me All right, Uh, well, listen, we got to tell you real quick about a very important story. Uh, ABC News is reporting uh, that Brian Ross and Richard Esposito, two of their investigative reporters, uh, have been made aware by a source uh, inside the government that their phone uh, calls are being tracked. 
and that they should get, quote, new cell phones. They said, uh, you better go ahead and change up your cell phones because the NSA or someone inside the uh, – I'm or sorry. Verizon more, or Verizon <laughs> or Bell South. No, I should be more clear. Uh, I believe it's the CIA. It's uh, someone inside the administration or inside the government is tracking the ABC reporters' calls, apparently, according to what ABC News has learned. And uh, they are being told by their source inside the government to get new phones because they are being tracked. And the reason that apparently they're doing this is because – Hey, if you're talking to somebody about uh, those CIA leaks, no, 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 not the ones we did, not the ones Carl Rove and Libby did, that they're being, in, you know, Libby's already been indicted for and Loeb, uh, Rove might get indicted for again, not the one that actually endangered a CIA uh, covert operative's life and her sources. No, 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 not those. The ones that have been politically damaging to the administration, those ones were d tracking your calls. But they said, no, these tracking of the calls, they're only international. Oh, yeah, sometimes they're domestic. But there's only for Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda associates and Al-Qaeda affiliates. When did ABC News become an Al-Qaeda affiliate? Oh, I see. So sometimes it is for <laughs> domestic calls, and it isn't for Al-Qaeda at all. And now it's to track people, you know, that... Uh, are apparently news organizations that are exercising their freedom of speech, freedom of press prerogatives under the First Amendment, and now they're being targeted. Hmm. I, look, first of all, I hope to God you got a warrant. But who, who in the, who in the audience, yeah. who in the country is convinced that when they're tracking the ABC calls, they actually have a warrant? <laughs> I don't believe anybody is. Corey wants to talk about this. He's in New Orleans on line three. Nope. Okay. Well, Congressman Sherrod Brown is going to be with us in just a second in the uh, in the studio. In a couple of minutes, he'll be with us. Uh, but, guys, I just want to say one last thing on this ABC store. And then we'll probably talk about it for days on end. <laughs> right. <laughs> just how many times do they have to lie to you before you think, well, perhaps this illegal warrantless tracking that they've done, whether it's outside the country or inside the country or purely inside the country, they're going to abuse the power that they have. This unlimited power claim that they yeah. have. What well, did you did you hear Congresswoman Jane Harmon on uh, on Face, Face the Nation, Nation yesterday? I did. Yeah, in she, fact. I mean, she, I thought she was uh, very to the point and saying things that were probably not easy for her to say, especially in a position of leadership. But she said them because she is in a position of leadership, which is that this administration is essentially lawless. And that's exactly what she, the quote was lawless, and I love to see that from Jane Harmon. I was rather surprised that Bob Schieffer, who otherwise did an excellent job uh, uh, Sunday on uh, Face the Nation, didn't ask uh, her, hey, aren't you one of the people who received this intelligence? Why didn't you do something about it? I would have thought that was a fair question. And, uh, but and he, I, was pretty I was good, he was pretty good with Stephen Hadley, though, I thought. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He, he did a stand-up job. Also, remember this. If you're going to say, hey, I'd like to do – I don't like the way the laws are now. I'd just like to do warrantless searches, and that's really important for us to catch al-Qaeda guys. You see, in a democracy, what you have to do is change the law. You can't just say, hey, I'm president. I get to do whatever I like, so I just ignore that law. I thought we lived in a democracy. That was Maybe I was under a mistaken assumption. Well, hopefully we'll figure that out, especially in 2006. If I was president, I get elected on Friday, assassinated on Saturday, buried on Sunday. If I was president, if I was president.
George W. Bush may have taken an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution, but the Senate Judiciary Committee is holding hearings now to look into whether Bush is defying Congress and the Constitution by claiming the right to ignore some provisions in laws that he has signed. Hundreds of times during his tenure, following the signing of a bill, Bush has quietly issued signing statements asserting his right to defy certain provisions in some of the legislation. There is little doubt that the hearings would not be happening if not for Boston Globe reporter Charlie Savage, who has reported extensively on Bush's profligate use of these signing statements since last December. Charlie Savage joins us now by phone from Washington, D.C. Charlie Savage, welcome to Counterspin. Thanks for having me on. Tell us how George Bush has been using these signing statements. When President Bush signs a bill, he sometimes issues a signing statement that gets quietly filed in the federal record without any fanfare. A signing statement is not a proclamation in which a president says, I'm very glad that I've signed this bill. It's going to help us. Good job, Congress. He often issues those as well. But a signing statement is a technical legal document, which is essentially his interpretation of the bill and instructions to the federal bureaucracy or the military or whoever is going to be implementing it about what kind of policy they should devise when they go to put this new law into force. President Bush, more than any president before in U.S. history, has used signing statements to declare that he can ignore provisions of new laws that he thinks conflict with his interpretation of the Constitution. He's done this more than 750 times since taking office five years ago, by far a record for any U.S. president. How does that pan out in terms of percentage? Well, it's a little complicated. He's attached signing statements to about one in ten of the bills that he's signed. But some of the bills are massive, omnibus, 100,000-page bills full of new laws in which he's challenged, in some cases, more than 100. In other bills, of course, are simply one-paragraph statements that say Arbor Day is neat, and he would not have challenged one of those. So the figure 1 in 10 itself is not as illuminating as you might think. Well, there's some issue areas that he's been using them in more than others, too. Tell us a little bit about that. Overwhelmingly, the provisions that President Bush is challenging are provisions that he thinks restrict his own authority to run the government as he sees fit, because he's the head of the executive branch and the commander-in-chief of the military. He has a sweeping view of the powers that the Constitution give him to wield, a view that is not endorsed by mainstream legal scholars. And so he's using these signing statements to single out hundreds of provisions which regulate and set rules for how the military can be used, what kinds of information can be given to Congress, whistleblower provisions which allow executive branch employees to go to Congress if the government is doing something wrong without being fired or otherwise punished, safeguards against political interference by his appointees and federally funded research, as well as numerous rules and regulations for the military, most famously perhaps the torture ban and oversight provisions in the USA Patriot Act. Give us the details. What did he say about that torture ban? Wasn't that the McCain bill? That's right. As your listeners probably recall, late last year in Congress, there was a huge fight led by Senator John McCain to pass a bill that would make clear that U.S. interrogators cannot torture or otherwise use cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment against a detainee in their custody, no matter where in the world they are. Bush fought against that. He threatened to veto it, although he's never vetoed a single bill in his presidency, the first president in modern history not to do so, and these signing statements perhaps reveal why that is. Vice President Cheney went to 
to the Hill and personally lobbied lawmakers not to pass the torture ban. But both chambers of Congress passed it overwhelmingly by such large margins that even if Bush had wanted to veto it and take the political heat for doing that, they would be able to override his veto. So Bush signed the law. He gave a press conference in which he accepted the torture ban and, in fact, tried to take credit for it, even though he'd been fighting against it. And then later in the day, he issued a signing statement uh, saying that he was the commander-in-chief and no law could prevent him from authorizing harsh interrogation techniques if he decided that was necessary to help prevent terrorist attacks. Well, is Bush using these signing statements differently than they've been previously used? Other presidents have used them. But in the past, haven't presidents used these to point out parts of the law that they were, thought were in conflict with Supreme Court precedent? There is no doubt that previous presidents going way back in time have occasionally declared that they're not going to enforce a provision of law because they believe it's unconstitutional. And sometimes they've issued signing statements to that effect. And there's also no doubt that starting in the mid-'80s, and including the Clinton administration, more signing statements were issued than had been issued before. What's different and unprecedented about what President Bush is doing falls into three levels. First of all, he's doing it much more frequently than any president before. He has crushed all previous records for the numbers of laws that he says he can disobey. And he has three years left in office. Secondly, he's making far more aggressive claims than most previous presidents. His views of his own power is to have absolute control over any executive branch employee in defiance of a statute by Congress that seeks to give some degree of independence to an executive branch employee is not supported by Supreme Court case law. Previous presidents did not, to my knowledge, issue signing statements that were making constitutional objections that were in conflict with Supreme Court case law. And third, he's doing this at the same time that he has not vetoed a single bill, which raises the, the prospect that the reason he is not vetoing a bill, the first president since Thomas Jefferson to go this long in office without vetoing a bill, is that these signing statements have become a substitute for vetoing a bill. They've become an override-proof line-item veto by which he could knock out chunks of legislation that he doesn't like, keep the rest, and do so in a manner that neither the Congress nor the media has paid any attention to. Well, as I mentioned, Charlie Savage, you've been on this story since December of 2005. How many other reporters are seriously looking into the signing statement story? There has so far not been a great deal of interest in this story among the mainstream media, at least in the print mainstream media. There were a few stories uh, in January that came out of a, a day or a week after I first wrote about the torture ban. There was not, to my knowledge, any story that came out after I wrote about the Patriot Act signing statement in March. And so far, there has not been any reaction to this week's piece, although Senator Specter announced during a committee hearing that he was going to have hearings in it. And uh, today, some Democrats introduced a resolution or announced they were about to introduce a resolution in the House condemning the practice. Do you have any sense why there's been so little interest? Can you tell us about conversations maybe you've had with other reporters that might give us some indication why they didn't seem to find this story as compelling as you have? Well, I wouldn't characterize it that way. I've actually received compliments from fellow reporters. I, I think it's a fact of human nature in this business, and I'm no different than any other reporter, that no one likes to follow in anyone else's wake. Do you have any idea where this story is going to go from here? Well, we'll have to see what happens with these hearings that Spectre holds. These could go either one of two ways. They could be simply legal experts talking to each other about conflicting legal theories, 
in which case they're unlikely to make much of an impact. Or it could be a genuine probe of exactly why the administration has adopted this legal strategy. How often are they actually making use of these waivers that they're claiming to have, which is something that's very difficult to know because so much of these laws involve national security and what the government is doing there is secret. If it's a genuine probe type of hearing, this could have legs. We've been speaking with Boston Globe reporter Charlie Savage. You can read his stories about George Bush and signing statements online at the Boston Globe's website at www.boston.com. Charlie Savage, thanks for joining us today on Counterspin. Thanks for having me. Now, let's run Scarborough, guys. Let's get him up there. Uh, this is what Jill was referring to. When you have conservative talk show hosts on MSNBC talking like this, mm-hmm. you know they're in a lot of trouble, and they're scrambling. They're scrambling big time. You got it, Jesus? Here it is, Joe Scarborough on MSNBC on the NSA, uh, the latest revelations about Joe the Scarborough, NSA. Joe Scarborough, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a former Republican congressman, and he has, for some reason, his own show on MSNBC. <laughs> Here we go. have those stories in a minute, but first... Big Brother is listening. No, really. He is listening, and he's tracking every phone call that you make. That shocking revelation revealed the day when the details of yet another secret government spying program were revealed in a front-page screamer in the USA Today. Now, for liberals who have long been going against almost all of these issues to defend privacy, the news has to be disturbing. But no less so for conservatives who have fought national ID cards and gun registration for years out of fear of big government. Now, whatever you consider yourself, friends, you should be afraid. You should be very afraid. With over 200 million Americans targeted, this domestic spying program is so widespread, it is so random, it is so far removed from focusing on al-Qaeda suspects that the president was talking about today, that it's hard to imagine any intelligence program in U.S. history being so susceptible to abuse. You know, I served on the Judiciary Committee and the Armed Services Committee in Congress for four years, and no program I studied while using security clearances ever came close to the scope of this massive spy program. It is dangerous, it breaks FCC laws, and it endangers all Americans' right to privacy. But you know what? The villains in this spy program are pretty easy to target, almost as easy as your phone records. First, you have the president who's shown that he will break laws if they get in his way of spying. Second, Democratic leaders, they complain now, but where were they? They reviewed the program. Why no protest? Don't hold your press conferences now, Nancy Pelosi. Tell us about it when you learn about it. And finally, the phone companies, who actually profited from the government reading all of your phone bills. They should be sued, and their CEOs fired. Hey, memo to the president and congressional leaders who signed off on this lousy program. We don't trust you anymore. We don't trust you with our phone bills. We don't trust you with our bank records. We don't trust you with our medical histories. From now on, if you want to look at Americans' private records, get a damn search warrant. Now, to dig deeper into this program that's created the largest database in world history, let's turn first to NBC's senior investigative correspondent, Lisa Ma. All right. Well, there you have it. Yeah. The um, um, 
look, you can't. Uh, that could have been uh, written by the American Civil Liberties Union. No, look, here's people forget conservatives are supposed to be mm-hmm. against this right. type of thing. I mean, remember one of the things that people don't talk about, but they should really think about it. And he didn't even mention it. There is how about the guns? Next, you think that they're going to want to know all your information except your gun information? You think that if a you know Republican president uh, president sets the precedent of we need to register all your information, that any other president, Democrat or otherwise, is going to say, well, I mean, the one thing people that terrorists use is guns maybe we should register those too i mean and that's these are the kind of things that uh, the conservatives are supposed to be like get the government out of my life and it's about time that they woke up to it you know if it took the 29 percent from the president to get him there god bless i mean i here's the thing you would have never heard uh thought that you'd hear from us but given what that that was an an, mm-hmm. an excellent uh editorial by scarborough i gotta say God bless Joe Scarborough for yeah. being the right well, about this. That's issue. why NB, MSNBC gave him the job. He's courageous. Uh, the Republicans, <laughs> the Republicans are the new party of small government that sit at the dinner table. Stories making headlines around the country and around the world this morning. But every day here on the Rachel Maddow Show, we poke a sharp stick at the soft white underbelly of the right-wing scheme machine. Give you a little peek at their political playbook. Today's underbelly political tactic is called baiting. I have a lonely little conspiracy theory about the revelation yesterday that the government is collecting all our phone calls. I think they are baiting the Democrats. It starts with a question here. Why did we find out about this Yesterday, USA Today says uh, they talked to a current intelligence official and a former intelligence officials. Those were their sources, both anonymous. Right. So we don't know who exactly uh, gave out this information, but the White House isn't denying it. We've had a, a bunch of the information from the USA Today story yesterday. We've had a bunch of the information that was in that story uh, before in other stories, uh, some from the New York Times, some from the Washington Post. The U- U- USA Today story just kind of put it all together. But it, I, I don't honestly feel like it should have been as much of a bombshell as it was, except for the fact that it was received as a bombshell in Washington. It brought Washington almost to a halt yesterday. When is the last time they had the president ready and available to the press with a statement by noon, by 12.03 p.m., to respond to a critical story that came out in that morning's papers? Why did this happen now? And the question is, I realize it's conspiratorial, but did the White House purposely decide to get this story out now? Did they leak this information? Did they want this story to be out there right now? For the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about how the Republicans have been picking their political issues. Karl Rove back in charge of politics for the Republican Party, right, in terms of the, the, the midterm elections. And, and they've been deciding which issues they want in the news because they think they, they, they want issues in the news that they can beat Democrats politically on. So, so judges, right? They're going to put forward a whole bunch more judicial nominees. They think they can beat Democrats on that. Uh, same-sex marriage will be coming back. And how about domestic spying? They think domestic spying is a winning issue for them. They have admitted it. And I think they're baiting Democrats to start a big fight over this. Because they think that in the long run, when Democrats fight them over this issue, it will make Democrats look soft on terrorism. What was the very first thing that Bush referenced yesterday uh, in his White House statement? September the 11th. It's the very 
first thing out of his mouth. After September the 11th, I vowed to the American people that our government would do everything within the law to protect them against another terrorist attack. That was the very start of his statement. Do you hear Karl Rove in this statement? Does it sound like his Republican National Convention acceptance speech? They want this to be a big political fight. They know that this raises huge civil liberties and privacy concerns. And they also know that civil liberties and privacy concerns pale politically before the political benefit to them of Bush getting to talk about being tough on terror after 9-11, tougher than the Democrats want him to be. So far, we've been very successful in preventing another attack on our soil. As a general matter, every time sensitive intelligence is leaked, it hurts our ability to defeat this enemy. This was the message yesterday. He only gave, it was two minutes and 25 seconds or something, his entire speech yesterday. But it started with 9-11 and it ended with, you are helping the enemy by even talking about this. This is pure Karl Rove. This is the purest distillation of the way they've used 9-11 and terrorism and the way they have tried to put light between the Republican and Democratic parties on the issue of national security. This is textbook stuff. And the way they are characterizing things, because this is a USA Today story, right? It gives them the added bonus of being able to beat up on the press for helping the enemy. Right. So they not only get to beat up on the Democrats for being soft on terror, not only did they get to portray Bush as being bold in the fight against terrorists, more bold than the Democrats want him to be. They also get to beat up on the press. This is a great political issue for them. And you heard it. If you want evidence for this conspiracy theory of mine, you heard it yesterday from the Capitol Hill Republicans. This story came out in yesterday's paper, and by the time any Republicans were ready to go on the record on this, by the time they went into the Judiciary Committee in the Senate to talk about this, the Republicans already knew exactly what tune to sing. For example, uh, in the House, Pete Hoekstra, the top House intelligence guy, Pete Hoekstra came out and said, the USA Today story, quote, threatens to undermine our nation's safety. On the Senate side, uh, here was Republican Senator John Kyle. This is nuts. We are in a war. And we've got to collect intelligence on the enemy. And you can't tell the enemy in advance how you're going to do it. The press is helping the enemy. The Democrats don't realize that we're in a war. You need to crack down on the enemy and be willing to do bold things, even things that raise little privacy and civil liberties concerns, because we are at war and we have a strong leader and we need to stand behind him. And we need to get over any pansy concerns we've got about the Constitution. This is what they want to run on. This is it. Now, what do the Democrats do? If this is set, if this, if they're being set up by the Republicans to walk into this political trap, what do the Democrats do? Roll over and say, we don't mind that you're spying on 225 million Americans and that you are shredding the Constitution? No. The way Democrats avoid falling into this political trap is to keep laser-like focus here. The American people have been lied to about this program. The Congress has been lied to about this program. This is not about putting restraints on the way we fight the war on terror. The government's gone too far. This is about the government stopping lying about what they're doing. I know I'm being conspiratorial here, but it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. I'll tell you that. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. 
Let's squeeze in the Carter out here. I love this. Here's a bunch of Swift Boat guys. I think it actually literally is the Swift Boat guys. Yeah. Uh, some, of the, some, some of the same people that attacked John Kerry for a service in Vietnam. And they come up with a new ad because they're saying, no, everybody's looking to censure the president over his illegal uh, uh, you know, wiretapping program. But they have a much better idea, much more uh, rational target. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. When I saw the... Before I saw the commercial and I saw the summary of it, I said, no, come on. No, come on. It's about a group called Move America Forward. <laughs> I mean, if that ain't the most ironic title you ever heard of. Yeah. Let's watch the commercial uh, and then we'll talk about it. You'll see how ironic it is. Here you go. Some politicians want to censure President Bush. Why? Because Bush wisely supports wiretapping suspected terrorists. If Congress has an itchy finger to censure someone, they should start with former President Jimmy Carter. In North Korea, Carter's meddling increased nuclear tensions. In Cuba, he's emboldened dictator Fidel Castro. In the Middle East, Carter supported Yasser Arafat and the terrorist organization Hamas. Congress should censure Jimmy Carter for his shameful conduct. Log on to censurejimmycarter.com. <laughs> what are they talking about? No, I love it. No, I come on. This is the kind of stuff that cheers me up during the yeah, day. Yeah, come on. It's just funny. Now, you know who really sh ought to be censured? Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, I was going to say. That bull moose party that he put together, just unacceptable. Jimmy Carter? Jimmy Carter. What about Teddy Roosevelt with the trust busting? <laughs> what That's about just... Grover Cleveland? Oh. Isn't it time to censure him? What about the, the sort of a, a, a free economy, the free market? Teddy Roosevelt just just crushing monopolies and sort of, I think, causing the depression. So-called black horse candidate, James Polk. Yeah, dark horse. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, brother. <laughs> Driving us into a war with Mexico, Mexico that we didn't need. Come on. It's time First to... First of all, elected there in the in the back rooms in 1844? What is that? What about the people getting to pick the president, huh? It's time to move America forward by censuring James Polk. <laughs> okay. Come on! You kidding me? Jimmy Carter. They went back to Jimmy Carter to censure him. We're going to have to play that for people again. Uh, that is... It's, he was now, like the most you want talk about president ever. <laughs> you want to talk about running out of ideas. Yeah, I mean, they point. have hit the bottom of the well. Yeah, we're tapped. Sorry. That's it. This is show. We didn't know for sure what kind of shape Harry was in. Well, we, we do now. He's, he's good. And by he, I mean me. Ladies and gentlemen... Buried leads this week. Uh, two buried leads in one story. That's got to be some attentive news gathering. Uh, you know that um, on Wednesday, the um, new nominee, well, the nominee of the White House to um, head the CIA to, to succeed Porter Goss, General Michael Hayden, had his hearing before the Senate. And... Um, Oh, there were a lot of different uh, leads for that story. 
the uh, two uh, kind of shouted out to me, and uh, one was sort of was half buried, and one was totally buried. So let's take them in order, shall we? Thank you. He told Congress, did Hayden? He told the Senate actually that he wasn't comfortable with the secret Pentagon unit that claimed Al Qaeda had ties to Saddam Hussein in the lead up to the Iraq War. Just a minor little quibble about that bad intel that was blamed on the CIA. Here's another brushback. Air Force General Michael Hayden said the tiny unit created by Defense Secretary, uh, Assistant Defense Secretary, or Under Defense Secretary, Doug Fyth, was so secretive, he, Hayden, didn't know about its activities when he, Hayden, headed the super-secret National Security Agency in the run-up to the Iraq War. That's secret. That's pretty secret. It was the Office of Special Plans led by former Pentagon Policy Chief Doug Fyth. That's right, Fife-based intelligence. Um, I wasn't aware of a lot of the activity going on, Hayden told the Senate Intelligence Committee. No, sir, I wasn't comfortable with Fife's Iraq analysis, said uh, Democratic Senator Carl Levin of Michigan. You actually placed a disclaimer on NSA reporting about links between Saddam and al-Qaeda. Yes, sir, Hayden replied. Just, just the intelligence that you know, was was used to lead us into the Iraq War, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing big, nothing that would ju- justify, you know, a lead. And then, this one really bowled me over. Republican Senator Mike DeWine was questioning uh, General Hayden on um, his putative new job at the CIA. There, I, there's very little doubt he's going to be confirmed. Quote, Republican Senator DeWine of Ohio Quote, first, do you agree that we could make still better use of non-official cover operations? Do you agree that we need to be more creative and risk-taking in how we construct and use non-official cover? And am I right to be concerned that non-official cover operations have not been given the resources and attention that they need to be given to be truly successful? Are you prepared to give NOC, non-official cover operations, the support and resources they need to truly succeed? That was the question. And I realized I had heard that phrase before, non-official cover. I don't study the intelligence world all that much, ladies and gentlemen. Why should I? It's not my business. But I'd heard that phrase before. And then I realized where, where it was used. That was the status derided as not really cover, not really secret, not really a problem if you expose it. That was the status enjoyed until recently, by former CIA weapons proliferation operative Valerie Plame. She had non-official cover. So, the new director of the CIA is being tasked by a Republican senator with giving more resources, being more creative, more risk-taking, more support to people with non-official cover. Support like... Your name appears in Bob Novak's column. Two leads buried... No survivors. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, I just want to, you know, I I just realized that this show is a little bit shorter than most, or at least the ones uh, recently. So I just want to take a minute to do something completely out of the ordinary and really endorse uh, another podcast that I just found about three weeks ago. And just keep in mind, they don't know 
that I'm saying this and we're not in the middle of a, um, you know, a promo exchange or anything along those lines. Uh, this is really just because I like this show and so I want to talk about it. It's called Catalog of Ships and it's kind of like, well, first of all, about 99% of you have heard of this American life before. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll throw out 50% of you have heard of a show called Verge of the Fringe, and then maybe somewhere around the same number have heard of a show called Love and Radio. And of course, This American Life is a professionally produced uh, show for NPR that's done in Chicago. Verge of the Fringe is a you know, moderately successful to, you know, fairly successful podcast done in Los Angeles. Uh, Love and Radio is, an, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how well they're doing, but they're certainly up and coming. And they all have the same kind of vibe, you know, there's storytelling, there's, you know, it's kind of deep and well put together thoughts and, and all, all things along those lines. And Catalog of Ships is basically... It's like if you took all of those shows and you put them all together and you made the show only 10 minutes long and then remixed it, that's Catalog of Ships. And it's, you know, I didn't come up with the term remix. They, they use that term on their website. It's part of their uh, slogan. I think, I think their slogan is uh, life cataloged then remixed. And... So just to give you a perspective of how much I like this show, I found it about three weeks ago, and at the time they had 27 episodes up. Uh, now they're up to 30. They had 27 episodes up, and I'm not kidding, I listened to all 27 in one day because I couldn't stop. I couldn't put them down. So every 10 minutes I just kept going on, next episode, next episode. And so I just, I really think you should check it out. Um, episode, I think, 28, uh, they had a big announcement, which basically entailed the possible ending of their show. And the basic premise was that it's two guys who produce the show, one of them tells the stories, one of them remixes it. And if you listen, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And so basically the point was that the guy who tells all the stories is running out of stories. So, basically, you know, I won't go into details, but they basically asked for listener participation in a way to, you know, help prolong the life of the show. And I thought to myself, um, you know, I don't particularly have what they're looking for, but I know that my audience is, you know, one of the best audiences I can think of who would be interested in exactly this kind of thing. And I know that a huge number of you are really, you know, like artistically inclined and talented in that sort of way and may be interested in being involved in the type of thing they're talking about. So they can be found catalogofships.com, you know, search in iTunes, catalog of ships, 
you know, they'll come up. It, it's easy. Nobody else has a name like that. And just check them out. Um, it, even if you only want to just dabble and check out a couple of shows, uh, they even have listed on their website under a, a section called New Listeners. Uh, they have a couple of episodes that they personally recommend that you check out to kind of get yourself acquainted. Um, my personal recommendation is do what I did and, you know, take your iPod with you one day while you go shopping over the weekend and uh, listen to all their shows because they're fantastic. So that's it. Um, you know, totally out of the blue, I know, and, you know, maybe uh, maybe unfair to all the other podcasts that I truly love as well, but this one, just, there's something about it that kind of sticks out that, uh, you know, that makes me love them. So if you check them out, I think you'll kind of see, see the same thing that I saw, and you'll fall in love too. So that was it. Now I'll get on and pimp the shows that I'm really supposed to pimp which I also love, all the shows over at newmediarevolution.org. You know, they're the political shows that I know you'll like, because, you know, if you don't like political shows, what are you doing here? So, check those out. We're still working hard as a group. We're getting that organization together. And in the meantime, you know, help support all the other shows that are uh, that are members, because we are... We're all in it together. We're all working to move forward, and you know it's uh, it's going to turn into a great group. So check them out, newmediarevolution.org, and check me out, bestoftheleftpodcast.com, and um, send me an email, hippiesympathizer at gmail.com. And when you go to catalogofships.com and fall in love with their show, you know, drop them a line, say, "Hey, I found them at." Uh, best of the left and you know just uh just you know give them my best wishes that's all well i guess there is actually one one more thing about that the catalog of ships i just want to say i love the christmas episodes those were some of my favorite episodes and according to them they got listener feedback about those being the worst episodes and i mean i guess i can see how People would think that, but they're just wrong. So, I just want to make that clear from my end. And, who knows, maybe that will intrigue you enough to go check them out. Well, I guess that's about it. I've burned off plenty of time here, so I'll leave you with that. Have a good one, everybody. This podcast is a member of the Progressive Podcast Network. If you like what you hear, you can find more at newmediarevolution.org.